then folks, regardless of what you're facing today, whether I don't know if you're facing discouragement or you're just a little down or or whatever, I'm not trying to um, say that I'm sensing anything in the in the congregation this morning. But I want you to be encouraged. The whole message today from Colossians chapter 2, and you can turn there, Colossians 2, 11 through 15, is one that reminds us of Christ's triumph. We get we can get more and more discouraged and frustrated about the world that we live in and the country that we live in and feel more and more disengaged and alienated. We feel like foreigners in our own country so much of the time. And it's because our country and literally the, the world continues on its path to turn against the things of God. But this passage today, Paul reminds us to commit ourselves to Christ, to place our full dependence on him. As folks, he has gained the whole victory entirely. He is fully victorious. Paul has been warning of false teachings that were distracting believers in, from, in the church in Colossae and these other churches in the Lycus Valley from Jesus. They were, they were providing distraction from Christ as a superior, uniquely authentic source of spiritual experience. They were being distracted from this one fact that Jesus is all that we need. We need nothing else, folks. Paul is emphasizing our need to depend on the sufficiency of Christ for all things and not to be drawn away, taken captive, persuaded to trust anything else. Why? Because trust, remember this, in anything other than Christ, any other power or personality, any other political figure, then Christ himself leaves us vulnerable to captivity and the enemy's devices. Here today, starting in verse 11, although we're going to read back from verse 6 to remind ourselves of um, this particular aspect of the passage, Paul is going to continue to describe how the work of Christ in us is fully effective for victorious spiritual living. There's no excuse for us not to live in spiritual victory, folks. When we do, when, when we when we fail to do that, it's our own fault. We're distracted by other things, whatever they may be. And we've gone through lists of those. You know what you're tended to be distracted by. So Paul, to emphasize this point, is actually going to use five different metaphors in four in five verses to emphasize this today: circumcision, baptism, resurrection, which is the overarching theme in this debt repayment, and a military victory march. It's kind of fitting that we just talked about David, God giving David victory as he victoriously returned back to Jerusalem. Folks, one day Jesus is going to return. He's going to have his own victory march. Paul's going to describe that here. We will see the triumph of resurrection. We can experience that triumph now, today, don't let your victorious living in Christ be hindered by anything. Don't be captive. You don't have to be, Paul says here. Look at verse 11 through 15. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, 
by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, and you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Father, thank you. What a glorious reminder that we have the victory. Victory in Jesus. This is a tremendous reminder that through the resurrection of Christ, we are victorious as well. <clears throat> Father, be, we know that you will be sympathetic towards us. We are weak, and it does seem so much of the time as we look around us that we're losing. We, we don't tend to see the victory that Christ gives because it seems like everywhere we look, our society is being torn down and things are being twisted. Your moral principles being twisted. And we sense um, the coming of, of persecution. It doesn't feel very victorious to us, Lord. But help us to remember that we don't go by our feelings, but by the truth of your word and that we do we are victorious in Christ, and he will return, and we will see a marvelous supernatural display of his victory marks. And we march, and we long for that, Lord. We pray for that. But in the meantime, let us, through this passage, be encouraged to be faithful, to live victoriously on a daily, hourly basis. <clears throat> through the power of Christ. And this we ask in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. The triumph of resurrection. We're going to see, first of all, the resurrection triumph frees us, freed us and frees us from the flesh. Now let's back up and have a little bit of the background of this passage in verse 6, and then we'll jump back into 11. Remember, those two verses, 6 and 7, are kind of like uh, the quick the overarching um, summation of Paul's message. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you received him through faith, continue to walk with him in faith, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And you might, as a reader, think, well, that's easy to say, Paul, but how can we be that confident, that established in our faith in Christ? And he's going to show us that in a minute. But he gives us a warning in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. What does it mean to be filled in him, that we have the fullness of him, the fullness of blessings of him who is has authority over all? Well, Paul is going to describe that further now in these next few verses. How is it possible? Because 
you were circumcised. Now, I'd say it's kind of strange that Paul swerves into the whole issue of circumcision. Um, just kind of out of the blue, it seems kind of random. And if you remember, this is mostly a Gentile audience that he's writing to. I think many of us realize that when we start talking about circumcision, that's a, a thing for the Jews. That's an expectation of God for the Jewish nation. So why, Paul, would you bring that up now? Well, let's look at this further. We'll understand it in context. His context, a picture here is to show us that we are not bound by um, the expectation, the Jewish expectations that Jesus, that God had in the Old Testament for the males of the Israelite nation to be circumcised. We're not bound by that. But when we trust Christ, we are circumcised. We, the body of our flesh, that sinful flesh nature is severed, folks, and has no power over us anymore. That's the picture here. In him also, you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, okay? It's not a physical circumcision that um, the Jewish people had experienced for hundreds of years. That's not what Paul's talking about. It is interesting, though, as Paul even brings this up. I think there's a good probability that in this false teaching that was going around, that it did have some Jewish influence, that this Paul was brought to mind this picture because these false teachers and philosophers were emphasizing works. Also, in the mix of this worship, as Paul will describe further, and we'll see tonight as well, we're going to continue to look at Colossians uh, tonight, and then Lord willing, next week, we're going to start into uh, our study of Revelation and continue Colossians as well. <clears throat> But um, Paul here is using this, or he's using this emphasis of the false teachers that circumcision and other works have to take place in order for you to have the full experience of Christ. Somehow they were weaving works into all of this. Probably circumcision was one of those things. And it gives Paul the opportunity to make the point, no, no, no. You don't have to add anything to your relationship to faith in Christ. It's actually, as you put your dependence in Christ, he does the work of circumcision. And it's not a physical circumcision, but it's the severing of the sinful flesh from you by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. This is the work of Christ in us. And so his resurrection triumph, and he's going to tie this in in just a moment to the victory that Christ had in his resurrection. It enables him, and we are enabled, we, 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 we are able to experience the severing from the flesh's power. Christ's death and resurrection provided for the removal of sinful flesh from us when we trust in him. Now, if this still seems strange to you, let's go ahead and look at a couple other passages where Paul, no pun intended, fleshes this out. Um, let's look at Philippians 3, verses 2 through 8. Paul uses the, the metaphor of circumcision to describe a spiritual circumcision, to describe the work of Christ. So I just as a reminder, this isn't anything strange. This is a summation of a concept that Paul has described before. Philippians 3, verse 2. 
Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Those are those that are emphasizing that somehow you have to be circumcised in order to have a relationship with Christ. He says, we are the ones that are actually the true circumcised. We are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The ones who don't trust in their works are the true spiritually circumcised. Paul says, I tried that route myself. I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If you want to have confidence in, in physical circumcision, I had more than you all. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day, and he gives a long list there of things that he did, of works. But verse 7, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And Paul, and as he writes to the Colossians, is again reminding them, don't get distracted by people putting rules like circumcision, adding them to salvation. <clears throat> Keep your focus on Christ. Just like he said in Philippians, count everything else lost. Forget all that other stuff. Focus on Christ. He is your full gain. He is all you need. We are victorious. We have gained all in our relationship with Christ. Uh, just quickly turn to Romans 2, 28-29. Paul again makes the same point that he's making here in Colossians. That God's people, that there has been, there is a new covenant that they're under. The old covenant has passed away. Circumcision is no longer required, but it is a spiritual circumcision that is necessary for God's people. For no one, I'm sorry, Romans 2, verse 28, for no one who is a Jew, who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outwardly and physical. It, that doesn't matter anymore. But a Jew, or you could say those of God's people, are, is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit. It's a work that the Spirit does now. Not the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. What is that? It is that when we trust Christ because of his death and resurrection, folks, we are severed from the flesh. It does not have to have power over us any longer. It's strange for us to let the flesh overtake us and held us captive because we're severed from it. In other words, this is a reminder that we don't have to give in to fleshly temptations. Whatever sin you struggle with, whatever sin currently holds you captive, folks, if you are truly a child of God, you don't have to live under that captivity. As Paul is going to continue to describe, we're victorious. We're severed from the flesh. It's unnatural for us to give way to it anymore. We can live victoriously. So remember that picture. That we don't have to get into the flesh. There's the first picture. Now the second picture. Paul's emphasizing this triumph of resurrection. Verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism. There is the second picture. And he's using now the image of baptism. To portray freedom from the flesh. Some unfortunately read this. And do the very thing that Paul's arguing against. And somehow see in here. 
a need for baptism as well in conversion for you to be truly saved. It's not a work that Paul is adding on here. He's denouncing works. For him to then add baptism would make no sense in the context and would blow up his whole argument. Now, it may, it may sound like that in some respects, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead, but this is imagery. And this is really a summation, a quick soundbite of truth that he explains more fully in Romans 6, 1 through 4, that baptism is an ad addition to our faith in order for us to be saved. But folks, this is so important. It's a picture of the spiritual reality of our union in Christ. And many times, if you've seen people baptized. And it is one of the things that it's the first thing, the step of obedience that God expects from his children, isn't it? Why? Whether it's children that have accepted Christ or adults, God expects that they'll be baptized, not because it's a part of their salvation, because remember the thief on the cross never had opportunity, the thief on the cross never had opportunity to be baptized. And yet Jesus said, you're in paradise with me. And just a little bit. But it is a picture, if you remember, and if you've seen baptisms, um, where the person is, is uh, dunked into the water, dipped into the water, and it is a picture of um, our death to sin and Christ's death. And then as they're raised out of the water, a picture of resurrection and a picture of new life in Christ. Well, where do you get that, Pastor Brock? Well, turn to Romans 6, 5 through, or, or um, 1 through 4. Again, Paul has made these arguments before, and he's briefly hinting at them in Colossians here, but we want to see the full argument. Romans 6, 1 through 4. And actually, Gary read this last week in our scripture reading. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? That's a picture. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. In order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. There is that picture that baptism so eloquently describes. And the cleansing that we have from sin, all of that is imagery, picture, certainly not something that needs to be added to salvation. And unfortunately, and, and even in Christianity today, there's a lot of misunderstanding. And that's actually one of the things that believers get, as Paul's describing here, get distracted by um, baptism's important, but it's not effective for saving. And so you you might run into folks, and I have in the past, where I've tried to describe this to them, and, and you now have the tools to be able to help them along too, to not be distracted, but to focus entirely on Christ. Let Christ do the work in this regard. But the picture here is beautiful. Our spiritual reality with Christ, we identify with his death and our death to sin, and to his resurrection in the spiritual renewal that we receive in our relationship with Christ. Buried with him in baptism, back to Colossians. But I will say, keep your finger in Romans 6, because 
We need to go back there in just a minute. But back to Colossians 2, verse 12. Buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God. This isn't man's work. It isn't the work of the person that or the pastor that's doing the baptism. This is the work of God. The power of God raised Jesus from the dead, and so he makes provision for those of us that trust in Christ for newness of life, new life for us as well. And that is what we testify in baptism. Important, yes, but a picture. I think you get the point. But folks, remember, because of Jesus' victory over the grave, because of his resurrection, we are assured new light as well as future new life in a new body through faith in Christ. And that's what Paul's saying there. Through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him, who raised Christ from the dead. Hopefully that picture is clear because he's going to now, again, he's going to uh, further describe really the overarching metaphor here of resurrection that is so important. Verse 13, we're severed from the flesh's power. That's important. We're free. We're, we are free from the flesh by God's power. All through Christ's resurrection, we don't have to give into the flesh. But these next few verses remind us that resurrection triumph all also provides us victorious living. We can live in victory, first of all, because we're forgiven through the work of Christ. Verse 13, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all of our trespasses, the beautiful picture here of resurrection. Folks, we were once fully enslaved to our flesh. We had no choice but to obey sin, to follow after sin. Fully held captive by our flesh, facing eternal punishment. And yet, God, through the resurrection power of Christ, made us alive together with him. We put our faith and trust in him, um, even with our offenses, our trespasses against God's law. We are identified with Christ, and we're raised from that spiritual death, taken up, severed from that, never to be connected again, as Jesus was from his physical death. And that's where, let's go back to Romans chapter 6 again. Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11 to highlight again, uh, to expand the truth that Paul is giving us here. <clears throat> Romans 6, 5 through 11. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, or the flesh, was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would be no longer enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. We don't have to be held captive. That's why Paul's saying in Colossians, don't be captive to these things. Don't be captive to these temptations that, that are tying you back to the to um, confidence in the flesh. You're no longer enslaved to it. You've been set free. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. 
We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. The victorious work of Christ, folks, is everlasting. We can put our confidence in that. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that glorious truth then, go back to Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, is what he's describing there. That you don't have to be held captive by the philosophies of these teachers and these Jewish works influences. Yes, you were dead in your offenses against God's law. You were uncircumcised spiritually. And he may be referring to the fact that he has an audience of Gentiles here as well. But he says that no longer matters because of what we just read in Romans. And in the end of this, that God has made us alive with Christ. He's forgiven us of all of that because of the work that he did through Christ. And then that work is described in another metaphor. He's describing the victory that we have in resurrection for, for, uh, through Jesus in verse 13. But now it gives more details. Here's another metaphor for forgiveness of sin in terms of a debt cancellation. Verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Remember we just sang about that this morning. It's nailed to the cross and I bear it no more is a beautiful picture of what has described right here. What is the details of this? Well, it seems best that Paul is describing a record of debt that we must pay because of our sin. Remember, he said in Romans that we have earned wages, and we owe a debt, a sin debt, and that payment must be made, and that is eternal punishment forever apart from God, folks. That is a debt that we owe, but none of us can pay, except from etern by eternal death, and none of us wants to pay it that way, right? So here is this picture of canceling. How can we have that canceled then? Even so much worse than uh, trying to figure out how we're going to pay a, a large credit card bill. Or if we have a large tax burden, trying to figure out how we're going to pay that. That pales in comparison to trying to figure out how to pay a sin debt that we can't pay. We're in trouble, folks. And yet Jesus canceled, or God canceled our debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands, demands for our debt, for us to pay the eternal punishment. All of that was canceled, was done away with. How? Through the death of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. All of that is pictured in that little phrase, nailing it to the cross. We know what the cross means. It's an awful, ugly picture. We saw that in our recent study in the Gospel of John of all that Jesus went through for our sins. And you can sum it all up by saying the cross. And Paul says that here, that beaten, bloody, tortured image of Christ on the cross. He went through that 
folks, so that we could experience the cancellation of our debt. Our sin debt was also nailed to the cross, and I bear it no, no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. You see, that's the response that we're supposed to have to this glorious message that Paul's giving. So don't give in. Don't be captivated by the things of the world that pull us back. But focus on what Christ has done for us. We no longer have to give in to sin. We don't have to act like we have a debt that needs to be paid. Jesus paid it all. So all to him, I owe. Sin left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. There's a lot of hymns that we could recite that give us, remind us of the glorious truths here. You could almost say it this way. Through the death of Jesus Christ and his shed blood, that debt, that record of debt is done away with and passed through the eternal shredder can never be restored. It's destroyed, folks. We no longer um, are held captive by its demands. Can you imagine, maybe you've experienced this, when somehow you're able to pay off a huge credit card debt, or somehow you find out that you had a huge tax burden, and somehow maybe you miscalculated, or your tax accountant said, actually, there's some misinterpretation here. You don't know anything at all. You know the sense of relief. Oh, Lord, thank you. Folks, how much more should we every day experience that relief in the fact that we don't owe a debt of sin any longer? Because of the work that Christ has done for us. That alone should encourage us. And if that doesn't do it alone, there's one more metaphor here. But let me give you a story here just to kind of, again, emphasize that idea of debt relief. It reminded me of my wife and I were first married. The car that, that, that I had was on its last leg. And we had to, to purchase another car. It was an old Toyota that uh, our mechanic recommended to us. He had refurbished it. It, it had a lot of miles, but he said, I've, I've done a lot of work on this, and it, it'll get you these Toyotas last forever. And it did last a long time, and we were very thankful for that. But it was an older Toyota. And one day we were coming back some, from, from some friends' homes. They invited us over there in Greenville, where we lived. Um, and we were still working at, at, at we were ministering at Cornerstone Baptist Church with Pastor Reavers. And we were coming back from these from these friends, their home. And sure enough, this Toyota, as we were going across the bridge, it started hiccuping. It started sputtering. And it just got us over the bridge where I was able to pull off in the grass. And it sighed its last sigh. It was done. And so we had to have a, had to have a tow truck come and, and remove that and took it had it taken to our um our mechanic and he made it clear there's not much i can do with this so we were wondering oh, what do we do next and we're having to get some rides to church and things because it was our only vehicle i think we had our well no no we didn't have our before but still i think Leslie was, was pregnant that's right yeah in the meantime my grandfather had recently passed away and my grandma was selling his car and so my dad knew that we needed a car and so we talked with her and we worked out in fact i just found it the other day it's kind of a nice memory uh, made out a little sheet of an agreement with my grandmother that we were taking on 
payments for that car, we had a certain amount that we were going to pay, and we were going to pay a certain amount every month until that was paid off. And that legal contract that, that I found in my glove compartment recently went with her own handwriting on it. It was kind of neat. Signified that we had a record of debt that had to be paid at a certain time. And she was very gracious about it. And, you know, she was willing. If, if, we didn't miss a month, by the way, because it was my grandma. And I wanted to make sure, you know, I knew that she, my grandfather had passed away. I wanted to make sure she was taken care of and all of these things. But... Uh, there was about two years later, my grandmother had a stroke, <coughs> and this was 2008 or 2009, and we went. We were planning on seeing her anyway. Uh, we went ahead and drove and, and, and were able to see her um, on basically her deathbed before she passed away. And it, it was still kind of surprising to us because we were hoping to spend some more time with her. But anyway, the whole family got together, and unbeknownst to us, as we were grieving and after the funeral, the her, her children, my dad and his siblings got together and they said, what should we do? Let's tie things up. Arden, or <laughs> Rock and Leslie are getting ready to head home about this car issue. And they decided, you know, I think it was our mother's desire that we cancel this debt and we don't make them pay any more of it. And so as a family, they decided to just give us the car. They they canceled, in effect, the record of debt. We were able to go home. Total total surprise to us. But it was a relief because we didn't have a lot of money at that point. We were still struggling through. Uh, we didn't know where God was going to have us. We eventually ended up in Maryland. But we had a baby on the way, and we were nervous. And instantly like that, because of the love of people that cared about us, our record of debt was canceled. Even a greater way, folks, because of the love of God. The love of our Savior. Our record of debt is canceled forever. And he is fully victorious. And we are victorious because of the work of Christ. And that's the last picture here, verse 15. <clears throat> he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Final metaphor, this reflected Roman military practice. And Paul describes here Jesus Christ himself in triumphal processional. Imagine a parade of public display as Jesus returns and his enemies are bound before him and they're paraded. And <clears throat> the victorious nature and the authority of Christ are fully on display for the whole world to see. Folks, won't that be a glorious day? And here we have pictured here, because of Jesus' resurrection, one day we will all experience that. Another interesting thing about this captivity parade is that in Roman military victory processional, the captives were paraded around before, as they were being led to their deaths. Now, Paul doesn't go that far to describe their actual deaths, but he intimates, he's insinuating that they're meeting their end. And who are these rulers and authorities? It's all authorities of all time, of all places, and these spiritual entities that these false teachers are so enamored with that are trying to distract the Christians from their focus on Christ, those spiritual authorities as well. All authorities that have rebelled against God will one day be 
put into captive and will be humiliated before the whole world. Remember, folks, when Jesus returns, we will be able to share in that. It won't be just the bowing of the knee, but there will be the humiliation of God's enemies that they didn't trust in him. And so in the midst of the arrogancy that we have to put up with now in our world today, where people literally mock us as Christians and shake their face, their fists in the face of God and go against his ways, they are choosing an ultimate eternal humiliation, folks. Don't think that they're going to have the last laugh. No, that will come to the final victor. That will be Jesus Christ. And they will be humiliated. All because of Jesus' death and resurrection. Again, think of Jesus on the cross and all that he suffered. Being mocked, being spat upon, being tortured. His skin literally ripped to ribbons, to shreds. Being nailed to a cross as a criminal. Going through that so one day he could return victoriously and triumph over all. It was worth it. And Jesus was raised from the dead, conquered sin and Satan. And we will experience that triumphal victory march one day. And don't we say, even as we think about that, doesn't that just well up within us, you know? Even so, come Lord Jesus. We desire that. Lord, come. Make it clear who you are to the whole world. We, we desire and we await that in our hearts. At the same time, folks, as we desire that, let's bring it back around to the purpose of that. It should also, that picture of victory should motivate us to serve faithfully now, knowing that we can be victorious now. We're fully victorious through the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection. There's no reason to doubt that. And it's senseless to then live a life where we put ourselves back into captivity by putting our hope and dependence in anything, anything that you're tempted to hope in besides Jesus Christ. You're putting yourself into captivity. That doesn't make sense. Because Jesus is fully victorious over all of his foes. And one day we will celebrate that together. So live like that today. Through his resurrection, people, we also triumph with him. Let that motivate you and encourage you. No matter what's going on around you in our world or in your world this week, you are victorious through Christ, the triumph of his resurrection. Father, we need this truth. Again, let us be encouraged. We we don't have to wail in defeat and be and be scared and fearful over those that lord their authority over us or think that they have won think that they have finally stamped out the Christians and defeated them. We don't have to worry because that is a foolish thought from the minds of our enemies. Because here we have the truth that Jesus is victorious, that he was raised from the dead, and that he will return. And we will enjoy his display of authority and victory for all eternity. So help us to keep that in mind, to motivate our daily commitment of living for you. We need this truth in our minds every day.
Father, I need this truth. Continue to remind us of the truths of this passage. Thank you that Paul wrote these words and that we could go forth motivated and committed to you. And we do pray, Father, even so, may it be soon. Send Jesus. We know he's in your time. That, that It's in your timing. And Lord, another thought is that we know that Jesus desired to be with us even more than we desire to be with him. Lord, we look forward to that. Help us in the meantime to stay faithful and committed to you, regardless of what we face, and to be victorious against temptations to put other things, to hope in other things, depend on other things but Christ. We need your help for that, and we ask for it. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.